0: with me, as we stand in honor of God's word, we're going to be looking at the first nine verses here in Acts chapter 17, as uh, the Apostle Paul and his missionary team uh, come to Thessalonica um, for the very first time. It's just exciting to see this, and by the way, as we're um, going through the book of Acts and we see... uh, Paul and his uh, team ministering in various cities here in Greece, uh, uh, Macedonia in particular, at at this particular point in time. But um, we also see that the Apostle Paul wrote letters to these these churches, Uh, uh, Philippians, as we know, in the last city that he was in, in Philippi. And and we see at the end of, of, of chapter 16, he's leaving Philippi, goes to Thessalonica. We have two letters to the Thessalonians. And it's a rich, rich study when you are going through the book of Acts and you also include the, the letters that Paul wrote to these various churches that, he, that, that were established through his ministry as we're going through here. It, it is very rich. It really is. I just encourage you guys, as you're reading the word, to take the time to do that. You know. um, and this next week, you know, read those two books those two letters, and and you'll you'll be richly blessed as you do. Let's go ahead and read the first nine verses. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version of God's Word, verses 1 through 9. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ or the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks And not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they could not find them, They dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we look at this passage. Lord, once again, the Apostle Paul meeting um, opposition through the hands of the Jews, the Jews that do not turn to you. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through these things, Lord Teach us, pour your Holy Spirit out upon us that he might be our teacher, Lord, that he would lead us into all of your truth, that he would bring to remembrance the things, Lord Jesus, that you have spoken to us, and that he would bring you, Lord Jesus, honor and glory through this time. So, Lord, we just bow before you. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. As I shared uh, before I prayed, you know, at the end of the 16th chapter, we see that uh, the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy as well uh, leave from Philippi and go to Thessalonica, that 40th verse of chapter 16, as you see there. Uh, So they went out of the prison, speaking, of course, of Paul and Silas. And entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and departed. Now, one of the things that I think we, we need to remember is that as Paul and Silas had been imprisoned there, they they were beaten, and they were placed in in stocks, and they were remember they were singing praises at midnight and all that happened there with the jailer the earthquake uh, the 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 chains were loosed and and all that the, the the jailer got saved his household got saved and and then the rulers of the city let them go Paul wouldn't let them just let let them go secretly he said you know we're Roman citizens they need to come publicly and even as they publicly jailed us they need to publicly release us you know and and so that happened uh, and so they went to the household of Lydia, who uh, was saved earlier in the chapter, uh, the first convert to Jesus Christ in Europe. I mean, that, that, that's kind of a pretty big deal. It really is. The very first person who got saved in Europe. They're in Philippi. It's kind of a cool thing. anyway. Uh, and then then they left. Now now remember they're, they're coming to Thessalonica just having gone through that. so, they, 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 they had just been beaten, their their, their wounds are very painful. Uh, the jailer of course took care of them and ministered to them, but but there they were and coming to Thessalonica and what's the first thing that they do when they get there? They go to the synagogue. Paul goes to the synagogue. Now now Luke notes that they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. these uh, Apollonia, uh, uh, I, I think, Apple, aren't you, aren't you from Apollonia? <laughs> That's a lot of apples come from Apollonia. Anyway, I'm sorry. That just now hit me as I was standing here. I saw Apple there. Apollonia, she must be. She's got. Anyway, um, these are two cities that are on the major highway between uh, Philippi and. Thessalonica, Uh, it's called uh, Ignatian Way, about 90 to 100 miles uh, of distance, so three days journey, maybe four, but probably three days journey. You know, if you're doing a healthy three-mile-an-hour walk, if if any of you do any walking, you try to keep up a pace of three miles an hour, you know, I mean, if you walk for um, eight hours, that's 24 miles, right? So it, three days would be a really good pace for a, and a really long day. Uh, but, but you can't, you know, it's like we, we take it for granted travel, you know. I mean, you know, we jump in a car and, and, and drive 90 miles in an hour and a half. At that time, that wasn't possible, obviously. So we just have to remember those things. It was a three or four-day journey, and if they were just kind of taking their time, and depending on how they felt, remember they were they were beaten up, they were pretty sore. They probably didn't feel like you know, you know, do doing a, a, a fast walk. It could have been five days. Anyway, we just have to keep those kinds of things in mind. But it was 90 to 100 miles away, and Thessalonica was the capital and the most important city of Macedonia. Phili- uh, Philippi, uh, an important city as well, but Thessalonica was the capital. And there Thessalonica still exists in, the s- in, in Greece. Uh, it's known as Thessaloniki. And uh, I remember the first time that I, I was in, in watching the Olympics, one of the athletes from Greece... Th- you know, they flashed on the screen from Thessaloniki. I go, wow! You know, that, that's amazing. You know, I mean, th- this ancient city, a biblical city. It's just amazing that, that 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 took place. Anyway, I thought it was cool, but it still exists. It's still a significant city there in Greece. So they arrive there, and and Paul, according to his custom, as as Paul uh, as as Luke, excuse me, as Luke lets us know, according to his custom, he went into. The synagogue, you know, to give the, the gospel to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. But at the same time, we've we've noted, uh, as we've been going through the book of Acts, that one one of the things that that Paul found too is that, you know, some of the Jews would be open, as we see here. Some of the Jews believed, but there was a a great number of devout Greeks. You know, these God-fearing Greeks who saw the God of Israel as the true God and that's kind of a big deal in Greece where there is you know where there's so much idolatry, you know so many other gods that are being worshiped and we'll see that as we get uh, later in chapter 17 in Athens in particular. but uh, so many gods that were being worshiped just just pagan idols and they had seen the, Jewish God, Yahweh, as the true God. They wanted to worship Him with, with, the, with the Jews in their synagogue. Many of them believed. Many of them came to faith. Many of them heard what uh, Paul had to say, and, and, and they believed. But this is always the first thing that he would do, and Paul would find that, that the, the, the Greeks, the devout Greeks, the God-fearing Greeks, were generally more open to the gospel than the Jews were, but some Greek, some Jews would come to faith, and the same thing happens here. Um, as we read these verses here, uh, the last verse of chapter 16, the first verse of chapter 17, I just want to, to, to point out, uh, you, you probably took note of this, but, but notice in verse 40 and verse 1 of chapter 17 that... The the pronouns, they, Um, there's a big deal about pronouns in our culture right now. Um, But pronouns are things that we need to notice when we're reading things, and they actually do mean something, and they're accurate. Um, But notice that Luke is writing they rather than us, which tells us that Luke stayed in Philippi. You know, they, as verse 40, they encouraged them and departed. They departed. Luke wasn't with them. Uh, when they passed through Am- Am- uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, right? So Luke was not with them, but we do see that Timothy was. He's not mentioned here as going. Paul and Silas are, are, are the two main uh, um, uh, people here because they're the ones that are doing the, the bulk of the ministry. Timothy is learning about ministry and he's helping them uh, in some ways. But we do see Timothy mentioned down in verse 14 of chapter 17 uh, as, it, as we're told that Silas and Timothy remained there in Thessalonica when, uh, excuse me, remained there in Berea uh, when Paul leaves from there. So obviously Timothy left with them from Philippi to Thessalonica. Paul goes into the synagogue. What courage he had. What courage. Silas as well. But especially Paul. I mean, he did this all through this first missionary journey. You know, he would bring the gospel. He would be um, somehow persecuted. You know, at, at one time left for dead outside of Lystra you know when the Jews from Antioch came and, and stirred up the crowd always it's, it's the unbelieving Jews who, who are stirring up the crowd that, that, that's always what's taking place here and we see it here in Thessalonica once again but I mean he had to know that these things were going to happen but he was not going to stop preaching the gospel he was not going to stop we need more men like that today who will not stop preaching the gospel the true gospel you're taking it right from the word of god not adding to not taking away not not twisting it not bending it around but as it says because our culture and even the, the the church culture is changing has been changing over the years where there are churches not, not preaching the gospel the way that it is given in the, in the word of God and allowing sin to take place within churches, uh, allowing those who are caught in sin and practicing sin, known sin, but saying it's okay, God approves of it because things have changed. Things have changed, but God hasn't. Culture has changed but God always remains the same. Jesus Christ, is, as the writer of the Hebrews says, the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is eternal. Pa- back in time, forward in time, eternal and always true. And so th- this is something that is so, so very important. And Paul was not going to back down over, over just a few stripes and bruises, a few. He he was an amazing man, you know, and, and I, like many of you, we're gonna be standing in line getting to wanting to talk to him a bit. You know, there are these characters, th- these characters, these men uh, of, of the Bible, some women as well, that that, you know, that that we we read of and, and their heroics and their bravery, their their courage, their, their their love for God, and the way that they lived for him, the way that they were used by him, you know, and, and, and Paul here. I mean, he, he obviously is one of the favorite uh, uh, characters in the New Testament uh, that, that we have. You know, it's like Jesus and then Paul. Right? I mean, isn't that true? So uh, we're going to be standing in line. You know, we're, we're going to have plenty of time. So, you know, we don't have to really get in a long line because there's, there's going to be plenty to do. We're going to be serving the Lord and all. But anyway, yeah, just, just to, to, to talk with him about some of this stuff is going to be amazing. But you know, courage is something that comes to us when we really do trust in God, when we trust Him. You know, he gives us a call, we answer the call. I'm not saying a, a call as a pastor necessarily or, or a call to ministry, a specific ministry, but all of us are called to share the gospel with people. All of us are called to give God's truth. And, uh, and as we give God's truth, to live God's truth. So that the giving of the truth verbally is w- w- will be believed. You know, I mean, people watch us. We, we say we're Christians, we believe the Bible, we'll tell them about the Bible. But, then, but if we don't live accordingly, it, it, it weakens the testimony. You know, it destroys it, really. We've got to be careful about that. Now, none of us do it perfectly, right? But, but we, we, we've got to do as much as we can, strengthened and empowered, obviously, by the Holy Spirit. But Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verses 5 through 9. Read this way. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me In a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's a good question. What can man do to you? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. You know, this is such an appropriate passage from the Psalms to, to talk about the courage that Paul had. You know, and, and this question that the psalmist asks, what can man do to me? The Lord's on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to you? And, and, and knowing, knowing our future, knowing what's going on, knowing what God has done for us, knowing that he has prepared a way, knowing that Jesus right now, is, is preparing uh, dwelling places for us, mansions for us, for us to inhabit when we arrive, right? And, and we, we understand that, you know, and it's almost like, hey, go ahead, kill me now. Kill me now, right? Kill me now, right? Yeah. Right, yeah, right, okay, okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm not the only one who's thinking that way. <laughs> you know, it's like, what can man do to me? You know, I mean, but they can stone us and leave us for dead, and it hurts a while, and they can... Yeah, I mean, Paul, again, all this persecution he went through, and we will go through persecution. We need, obviously, if, if, if you read the Bible, you know persecution is something that is going to take place in our lives. Paul wrote to Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer, what? Persecution. All. The way to avoid it is to not live godly. But we don't want to do that. We want to be faithful to our Lord, right? We want to be a good witness to Him because His name gets damaged when we do that. What can man do to me? Nothing really. Nothing of any lasting consequence. Now, it's not nothing in, in, in the literal sense, in the terms of the here and now, because, yeah, there is persecution. And, yeah, there, there have been, I suppose, millions of martyrs for Christ by this time, 2,000 years after him. But, you know, um, as I said, they went into the presence of the Lord, they remained faithful. And we are able to remain faithful when we understand what God has done for us and when we understand our our, our future and we live lives of, of thankfulness and that helps us to be faithful as we walk with him, as we navigate through this world as Christians. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, Be brave, be strong. I love the New American Standard Bible of that verse, which reads this way. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. That doesn't mean what it used to, because our culture changes the definition of manhood. Have you guys noticed? But that's what Paul was writing to the Corinthian church Act like men. As he's writing to the church, act like men. Be brave. Do what men are supposed to do. Stand in the face of adversity. Stand in the face of what is wrong. Act like men. That's something that Paul obviously did. And and we do see that Paul never... I mean, Paul was like Jesus in this way. They, They both never gave any instruction on how we are to, to, to act or respond to situations apart from doing it themselves. Oh, they were leaders in that way. And it does take courage to continue in the face of persecution. It takes courage to live a holy life, to be different, to be different from people around us, to be different from our family members, who don't yet know Jesus. It takes courage to do that. Our friends. One of the things it also takes is a desire to please God rather than to please people. Paul uh, wrote to the Galatians that uh, he is not a person. In Galatians chapter 1, Verses 9 and 10, he alludes to this. This this is not in my notes. This is a bonus. Um, He he, he writes that that he is not a a pleaser of men because if he pleased men, he would not be a bondservant of Christ. So to be a faithful bondservant of Christ, we've got to get rid of this idea of, of pleasing people. But at the same time, when we do follow Christ, when we do please Christ, we are a blessing to other people as well. That, but that's a byproduct of walking with Jesus. Amen. So that, that, that's, what, that's what we need to do. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Turn on your Bibles or on your devices. I, I have finally got past the point of watching people on, on your phone, you know, while you're in church or, or your iPad or something, and thinking, are they checking scores? Are they looking for the next shoe sale? (laughs) Something like that. Ephesians 5, 1 to 7. Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Powerful, powerful words. Going on. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know. That no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And that word partakers is a form of koinonia. The, Greek, the, 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 the root word is related to koinonia and partakers with. We as Christians, we can be partakers of one another's lives. We share with each other. We fellowship with each other. That's the idea. But not with those of the world. It doesn't mean we don't have relationships anymore, but those relationships change, don't they? They, they change. But when we follow those things and those verses... We obviously are quite different from those in our family and our friends, those people that we work with. And we can be ridiculed. We can be slandered. We can be maligned in some way. You know, what's wrong with you for following these ancient things? Don't you know that, that I mean, that's not true? That's not true. You know, when I say that I... I, I, this came to me last night as I was kind of wrapping up some thoughts. Um, I'll never forget. I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with this particular passage, but the idea of Christianity and, and who Jesus is and all, this th- all these things as, a, as we navigate uh, walking with him in our, in our culture. Um, and I've shared this with you before, but I saw this years ago. Oprah Winfrey, when she had her show, she had a show on, on some kind of religious show, and people were talking. Uh, you know, she, she basically is a New Ager, uh, raised in a, in, in a Christian home, but she's basically a New Ager at this point in time. And they, they were discussing God and, and, and all, and one of the women in the, in the audience stood up and quoted John fourteen six. You know, that, that, that uh, Jesus saying that, I am the way, the truth, and the life No man comes to the Father but by me, and Oprah said that can't be true. She's the new arbiter of spiritual truth. She said that can't be true. Okay, well, you're going to have to take that up with the Lord. When, yeah, I mean, I I I don't want to be in her shoes. I don't want to be in her shoes. But those are the kind of things that we come up, to c- come up against. And Oprah Winfrey is, is a woman with so much power, so much influence. And so m- I mean, she's very popular, obviously. You know, I mean, people will hear her and listen. And, and it took this woman, it took, took a lot of courage for this woman to stand up and share what she did. But we have that kind of courage as well. Paul gives us a great example. In a couple chapters, we're gonna see in Acts chapter 20, Paul saying this, after his, he is threatened, it is known to him that when he, he's on his way to uh, Jerusalem and, and he has stopped, uh, he called the uh, 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 elders from the church in Ephesus to meet him in Miletus on his way. And he speaks to them there in Acts chapter 20. And in Acts 20, verse 24, he says, None of these things, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. That's always a challenge to me. How about you guys? You know, how easily are we moved by circumstances? How easily are we moved by fear of what may happen? And even if we know something's going to happen that isn't good, are we moved by it? Are we going to remain faithful, stay the course, follow Jesus, and speak his truth? The salvation of people around us depends on us staying faithful. It really does. It really does. Now, it's not like we can, if God wants to save save somebody, it's his purpose to save a particular person, you nor I can keep that from happening by our own unfaithfulness. That can't happen. But if you want to be used by God, And every one of us have people that we have influence uh, over. You know, people within our, within our own uh, 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 circle of influence, our family members in particular. You know, God wants to use you and me in in their in their lives. So our faithfulness, God is going to use to cause them to see, to help them to see truth. So we we just have to keep that in mind. How easily are we moved? Here in Acts 17, we see, of course, again, Paul going to these, to this uh, synagogue for three Sabbaths. Look at these <coughs> verbs that are used here in verse 2 and 3. Reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining... And demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. Now, let's remember he's in a synagogue, Jewish worshipers of God, Greek God-fearers who are following the Old Testament scriptures, and he goes into them and he reasons with them from the scriptures. I mean, these are very powerful, powerful uh, uh, words and a powerful passage. You know, when I think of the word reason from the scriptures, we see in 1 Peter 3.15 that Peter writes, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And this verb reason here speaks, it it, it has to do with dialogue and and discussing. He apparently fielded questions from people. He was having conversation with them. He was sharing from the scriptures. And when somebody had a question about it, he talked to them about it. He talked them through it, uh, explained it. And and again, he explained and and, and demonstrated. Explaining, the, the root word here in the Greek speaks about opening the mind. Giving understanding in that way, Um, but this word "open" is used in other passages, particularly in Luke chapter twenty-four. In verses uh, thirty-one and thirty-two, we see this. Then their eyes were open. Now this is the passage in which uh, Jesus. It, uh, meets the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. On the day of his resurrection, he's with them. He's talking with them, and when they when they get to the house, they're, uh, they they sit down for dinner. Jesus op- uh, breaks the bread, and then it says here, their eyes were opened. And they knew him. It's upon the breaking of the bread that their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? The eyes being opened and the scriptures being opened is the same word as reason in the Greek language. The same word. It's just amazing that we see this, and we see this as a part of witnessing to people. You know, so a good working knowledge of the scriptures is good, and one of the problems for us is that there are too many of us who feel like we don't have a good working knowledge of the scriptures, so we just stay quiet. Share what you know, live for Jesus, he'll use it. But be faithful to study the scriptures so that you know more that you can share. But don't back off because you feel like you don't know enough. God will use you. He will use you. You know, I mean, all you have to say is, all I know is I was once lost and now I'm found. And then talk about the joy that you've received, the hope that you now have, the the, the love that you... that that you sense from the Lord God, the way that you love him. And that's why you're following him this way, because you love him. Not because you have to. Not because it's something written in in the religious code at the church that you go to. No, it's because you love him. It's because you love him. I want to do this because I love him. Demonstrating is the idea of giving evidence. In in, In fact, in the New American Standard Bible, that's how it's translated, giving evidence. Giving evidence of what? Well, that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. So reasoning from the scriptures, explaining the idea of opening and demonstrating through the use of these scriptures that Jesus had to suffer and rise again from the dead. So according to the scriptures, saying this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. This The Old Testament speaks of it. Jesus is the one who did it. He is the Christ. This is what the prophecies say. This is what Jesus did. Therefore, he is the Christ. As just just the the reasoning that goes through that. That Jesus had to suffer. He had to rise from the dead. You know, um, Paul was simply doing what Jesus did. And what Peter did as well. Again, in From the book of Luke, Uh, after Peter's confession of faith in Luke chapter 9, Jesus said this, Luke chapter 9, verse 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Paul was saying basically the same thing, but in the past tense because it was already done. Again, on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, the words of Jesus. As they were walking, verse 25 to 27, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Notice the attention that Jesus gives to what the prophets said. That they knew. Slow of heart to believe. What the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? I'm 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 certain that He used Isaiah 53 an awful lot. Let's learn those Messianic prophecies. And, and you know the amazing thing about that is you don't have to speak to a, a Jewish person who understands the, the the writings of Moses or the prophets or, or the, uh, the poets, as we see in the Old Testament, but just the idea that these things were actually spoken, you know, in, in Isaiah's case, over 700 years before it happened. Now, we have a hard time you know, relating to a period of time like that, 700 years. a long time. But generally, the response we'll get is, well, how do we even know that that, that that is even accurate? And the question we have, well, have you ever studied how the New Testament manuscripts are, have been translated? How old those manuscripts actually are? And how they've been preserved for us? Ever hear of the Dead Sea Scrolls? how uh, over 2000 years was was a, a gap was closed with the discovery of those scrolls because of the age of them and what was already written matched them you know i mean it, it's like it, it's crazy what god has done in preserving the manuscripts so that we can have an accurate understanding of his truth you know people argue with you without even knowing what they're talking about and don't be ashamed to tell them you don't know what you're talking about because they don't they don't, but we should know what we're talking about if we're going to tell him that, right? So just a study of the fulfillment uh, of, of the fulfilled Old Testament prophets and prophecies in Jesus. But but this is what what Jesus said, and so um, and, and going on here, in verse twenty-seven, he said, "And beginning at Moses and all the prophets." He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, what a great Bible study that must have been. Jesus himself expounded the scriptures, what the prophets had written, what Moses had written about himself. Man, I want to get copies of those notes. (laughs) Jesus didn't need any notes, obviously. Then later on that same evening, Luke 24, once again, after these uh, disciples had gone back to Jerusalem, they were with the other disciples, and and Jesus was with them. Jesus appeared to them, then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. You think that might be important? all the things that had already been written of him. We need to give attention to those. Then verse 45, and he opened their understanding. There's that word opened again. Opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. This is the work that the Holy Spirit does for us. But we need to be used, we need, we need to be willing to open our mouths to be used, used by the Spirit to do this in the hearts of people that we talk to. As, of course, obviously Paul the Apostle was. He opened their understanding, verse 45, and they, that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary... For the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. One passage in Acts in which Peter did basically the same thing, Acts 3.18. This was Peter's second sermon. We looked at this uh, several months ago. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And and so we see the importance of God's truth in relation to Jesus being the Christ, being the Messiah. What actually took place, as we see in the account of the Gospels, were fulfillments of what the prophets had spoken in the Old Testament. There are over 300 prophecies, messianic prophecies, that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus, which is, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And people will argue with us. They'll ask, well, how do you even know? I mean, it's, it's, it's been thousands of years. You, you know, these things get passed down, then the, the, then the original gets distorted. We can't even know. Well, that's not how it works. It's not, it's not the telephone game. It's going back to the original manuscripts, and as more uh, archaeological discoveries are made, we gain more information, you know, more more documents, more manuscripts and things like that. You know and it, it's always a blessing to see that some you know some pot was buried and discovered somewhere and it's got a name of somebody from the scriptures, you know, verifying that that person actually did exist, right? Filled with it. And, and by the way, the Book of Nor- Mormon will never find that archeological help. You know why? Because it's not there. You know, that, you know, that Jesus came to South America and stuff like that. It's a bunch of hogwash. It's a bunch of hogwash, you know, and uh, yet there are many people who believe it. It's amazing the things that people will believe. So the response, response of the people. Verse 4, some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So some of the Jews were persuaded, but as we see in verse 5, but the Jews who were not persuaded, I mean, they're, they're set against each other there. The idea of some Jews were persuaded, but many were not. And those are the ones that caused the problem for, for Paul and Silas here in Thessalonica. Uh, but there were a great multitude of the devout Greeks, the, 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 the Gentile God-fearers who were in that synagogue, hearing what Paul had to say as he opened the scriptures to them, as he, as he, as he proved, basically, that's the idea of, of, of the demonstration as well, proving through the use of scriptures that this is true, that Jesus is the Christ. They, they believed him. They were open to it. A great multitude of devout Greeks. And not just a few of the leading women. The leading women would have been wives of, of, of men who had some position in, in, in the culture, in, in society. Uh, whether they were Jewish men or, or, or Greek men, we really don't know because that's not specified. Um, but uh, they, 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 had, uh, uh, they, they had a mind of their own and, 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 and they came to faith as well. F.F. Uh, Bruce makes a note. He says that Macedonian women, and I've alluded to this previously as well, uh, but Macedo- Macedonian women had a well earned reputation for their independence and enterprising spirit. You know, so uh, they, they, they didn't have problems with believing something that their husband didn't. And we see that take place all the time. Uh, uh, women who are married getting saved, husbands wh- who's not. You know, I, I, I think about, you know, Jeanette and myself, when we got saved near, uh, well, it was, it was in uh, 1973. It was nearly 50, 50 years ago, July, August. It'll be uh, 50 years that that took place. But uh, we got saved three weeks apart. Not at the same time, they're three weeks apart. And how I have thanked God so many times for that because I've seen so many situations where a wife or a husband, but normally it's the wife who comes to Christ first and a husband maybe years later, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, 20 plus, you know, and, and, and just the difficulties that exist within that home because of that. And this is something that we see right here. Well, the persecution starts in verse 5. The Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious. We've seen that before, right? In, in uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 45, this is in Antioch, in the first missionary journey. It says, when the Jews saw the multitudes, this is after Paul had gone into the synagogue. He taught Uh, They were very excited about it, especially the the, the Gentiles. He said, can you come back next week? Sure. And they have invited all their friends, and the place was packed. And when they saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. There's something to take note there. Anytime any person opposes and or contradicts the truth of Scripture, they are blaspheming and they are contradicting. It's blasphemy to contradict, to oppose the truth of Scripture. Let's always remember that. Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Nothing good ever comes from envy. And we see here, as we saw in Antioch, we see here what the result becomes. Continuing here in verse 5, these Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. So they went to the marketplace and they found some very uh, well-known rabble-rousers. Said, "Come with me. We 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 we've got some trouble, and you you need to be a part of this. You know whether he paid them, whether they they paid them or not, I don't know. But you know, a a, a riot always has to be started with somebody who's willing to do it. You know, and and that's basically what takes place. He goes and finds some some men who are known as troublemakers, some rabble rousers, and and he brings them. And uh, they, they they he gathered a mob." Going to have a riot. You got to have a mob, and then he just fired them up. Uh, he set all the city in a, they, they set all the city in an uproar, and then they attacked the house of Jason, where this missionary team had been staying, uh, and they sought to bring them out to the people. They they wanted to bring Paul and Silas out in particular to the people uh, and, and take them to the, the uh, authorities of the city. They weren't there. But they, they had gathered this mob. They had, they had set the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of Jason. Couldn't find Paul and Silas. Verse 6, they, they didn't find them. They dragged Jason and some of the brethren, so other brethren as well, to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there's another king, Jesus. That is the charge against them. And so they dragged them out. You know, it's interesting, in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, we're told that Aristarchus and Secondus of, Thessalonians, of the Thessalonians, they joined Paul the Apostle, on his third missionary journey at that point in Acts chapter 20. Thessalonians who came to Christ in their first visit, they could have been among the brethren who were dragged out with Jason uh, to, to answer to the mob. Very possibly, maybe not, but it's very possible that were, we, do, we do know that Jason was a part of it and there were other brethren who had placed their faith in Christ, who were a part of this as well. Jason probably was one of the Jews who believed. Uh, Jason is the Greek form of the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua. And J- Jason is a Greek form of that. So it, it, it could very well be that he was one of the Jews who, did, uh, um, who, were, who were, were, were persuaded by the words of Paul their charge, these who have turned the world upside down. Now, there's a historical context to all that because in other cities, there were, there were problems among the Jews. Uh, taking from F.F. Um, F. Bruce again on this idea of turning the world upside down, he said that the words imply subversive or seditious activity, you know, which reminds us of, you know, the, the claims against Jesus in a very real way. I mean, that, that's exactly what the leaders of the Jews brought against Jesus. You know, they claimed to be a king. And of course, he was of, of a different kingdom, not any kingdom on earth, of course, but yes. And that's not explained, but the subversive activity that's the idea of these words turning the world upside down and he writes that these men who have upset the civilized world in fact this is his translation of these verses here in six and seven these men who have upset the civilized world or turned it upside down upset that's the word that he uses have now arrived here, and Jason has harbored them. Their practices are clearly contrary to Caesar's decrees. They're proclaiming a rival emperor, Jesus. Then he goes on and writes, The charge must be set in the context of widespread unrest throughout the Roman Empire. Jewish freedom fighters, and really they were terrorists, but freedom fighters were particularly active in Judea, A militant messianism was working among the Jews of the dispersion and in Rome, so much so that Claudius the emperor had expelled the Jewish community from the capital. And in fact, Luke writes of that in the next chapter, chapter 18, verse 2. When Paul enters into Corinth, he finds a couple there, Aquila and Priscilla. In verse 2, it says, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. Another thing that we see in the scriptures, Luke, as a historian, writes something that we find outside of the Bible in in the historical context of Jews living in Rome at this time and the fact that there were problems that the Jews were causing because of their own battles within them t- among themselves. So there's this, as, as Bruce wrote this, militant messianism, and, and the, the rulers of, of, of Rome and the Roman provinces and cities would not have been able to, to determine anything different than that when Paul and Silas came and caused this problem. In Thessalonica. They would identify it the same way. Obviously it wasn't, we know it wasn't, but they had no idea. And so knowing what was going on in other areas of the Empire, this is what they thought was going on. We also need to remember that the Roman Emperor, the rulers of of the cities and provinces, they were very aware that this Jesus who was, be, who was being preached was crucified, he was executed for his subversive activity, claiming to be king. And so all this kind of went together politically in terms of the, the things that this, the, the, these, these men, these Jewish men, uh, uh, accused Paul and Silas of doing. So it was all kind of wrapped together. But this idea of, uh, of turning the world upside down or upsetting the civilized world, you know, basically it's a claim that they're teaching that the life that we know needs to change. They're trying to change the way people are living. Yes, of course. And this idea of turning the world upside down, or, or maybe we should say turning the world right side up. If you're already upside down, if you're turned right side up, it feels like you're being turned upside down. Two, two negatives make a positive, right? But yeah, I mean, that, that, that's what's going on. And there's a challenge for us. Are we living our lives in such a way that our world, Contact, meaning being in contact with people around us, and as I mentioned earlier, friends and uh, relatives, loved ones, and so forth. Is our world or is their world being turned upside down through what God is doing in our lives? Is that going on? Do we have a sense that maybe it should be? I think one of the things that happens is that we. You know, uh, and, and and this is a mistake, you know, it's like, well, I don't want to cause trouble because I want to be expelled from the family because then I can't witness to them anymore. I don't want to be I don't want to be not invited to Thanksgiving anymore because I want to take that opportunity to witness for them. Witnessing is more than words, right? If we believe the truth enough to live it and 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 it begins to rub people the wrong way. I I've shared this about Jeanette's folks when we first got saved. Uh, when Jeanette and I got fir- first got saved, you know, they 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 didn't come to Christ until nine years after we did, and, and it caused some problems. There were several years that we saw them just a couple times a year, holidays, because they didn't want to be around us, because we were upsetting their world. You know, is that happening with you? It's okay. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It really is. Because the more important thing is, you know, I mean, that's how people around us will come to Jesus when they see that we take him seriously, right? Paul and Silas obviously did. And then the people that they were influencing, hearing their words when they respond, that began happening in their lives too. And so life was changing in the Roman Empire Because of the gospel. That's what the gospel does. If it is preached accurately and lived faithfully. But if not, it is weakened. We remove the power from it through our own explanations, our our own distractions, whatever we might call them. And it loses its power. Oh God, help us not to do that to the gospel might we live lives that that have been turned right side up so that those who are still upside down can see the difference and that they'll have a sense of conviction a sense of conviction that will lead to life you know we live in this culture where we just don't want people we don't want to make people feel bad Let the gospel do its work. Let the gospel do its work. Now, if you're being a jerk, that's one thing. But if you're living the gospel, that's another. And don't you cause them to feel bad. Allow the gospel to cause them to feel bad. Allow the gospel to cause them to feel bad. Because that's the only way that repentance will come. Verses 8 and 9... They troubled the crowd with their words, the, these uh, leaders of the city, or these, these, these Jewish uh, unbelie- or unbelievers. Uh, and in verse 9, when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So the city leaders, you know, they, they, they didn't, they, they squelched the, the riot by arranging this security, which really is bail. They let them go, and certainly a part of that bail was an agreement that that these troublemakers would get out of town. Well, they already had been hidden. Somehow they got wind of what was taking place, and and maybe it was just simply the fact that they saw the crowd gathering. And so some of their new brothers in Christ uh, stole them away, took them out of Jason's house so they couldn't be found, and then as a result of, this, of all this, we see in verse 10, verse, one, uh, verse 10 here, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And so we see them leaving Thessalonica. But, you know, might we live for Jesus in such a way that it is evident that our lives have been turned right side up? Now, to people who are upside down, it looks like our lives are upside down. Because we've been turned right side up. All we know is we're different from them. And we're not the way that we used to be. We have to allow God to use that. Might we, might we faithfully live for Jesus in such a way that people see the difference? you know, and, 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 and for people who we love to be able to feel the pain of not being able to fellowship anymore with them. You know, we're, 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 not, we're not tight like we used to be. Well, of course not, because, you know, um, the righteous cannot have fellowship with the unrighteous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes about that. You know, so this idea of holiness, being set apart, being different, crucial, crucial for us. We're encouraged to be holy so that God can use our lives to save people around us. You guys ready for that? You want to be used by God in that way? You want people around you to be saved? Might they see us living for Jesus seriously? And Father, help us. God, fill us with your spirit. Enable us. Strengthen us. Empower us. God, there are people around us who don't know you, who need you. Lord, do your work. Pour out your spirit upon them to cause their eyes to be opened. It's only, That's the only way it's going to happen, Lord, but we know that you have to do the work, God. We know you have to do the work, but we want to be used by you. We want to see them saved. We want to see them right. We want to see them respond to your truth. God, have your way. Lord, so many around us need you. And we live in a world right now where it seems that there are more and more people are, are wanting to hear from you. Hearing of revivals that are taking place on college campuses. Do your work. Have your way. Revive us on an individual, level, Lord, we, we bring revival to our own hearts to cause us, Lord, to look to you, to live for you, to be used by you, to be able to, to truly worship you 24-7, not just on a Sunday when we come to church or a Sunday and a Wednesday, but every moment of every day living for you, Lord Jesus. There's power in that. And so, God, we give ourselves to you. We bow before you. We worship you. Have your way and do your work as only you can. Might we be still and know that you are God. Be God, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.